one. A very good day to you, and thank you for joining today's webinar on the European Union Energy Package of the Future. To say that the global energy market is navigating new territories is an understatement. The pace of technology outstrips regulations both in the EU and globally, creating a perfect storm of consumer demand for new technologies, prosumer-supported clean energy, and the adoption of e-mobility, all aligned to legislative climate action plans with precious little to model success on. Europe has a unique advantage. Private and public utilities and solutions providers alike work with clients and partners in neighboring markets. Grid modernization is advancing, and new legislation is being introduced to support the transition to a net-zero, energy-efficient future. The EU 2019-944 and 2019-943 regulations will shape a common electricity market across Europe, create a level playing field, and encourage cross-border trade in both sustainable energy and expertise to meet the challenges of e-mobility and shifting market demands ahead of the global 2050 energy transition deadline. Today, we'll clarify the way forward and explain the implications and impact of the new legislation and the new range of opportunities available to utilities and their customers. We're joined today by three leading experts. Roberto Zangrandi is Secretary General for Distribution Regulator, EDSO. Laurent Schmidt is Chair Secretary General for Transmission Regulator, ENSO-E. And lastly, we're joined by Willem Strave, Managing Director at Metering Regulator, ESMEG. Our experts will explain the context of and possibilities created by this new legislation and answer any questions you may have about the European energy transition. Before we go any further, I wanted to share housekeeping information. The presentation and accompanying video will be available tomorrow, um, and we will send you a link so you can access that directly. Please feel free to ask any questions you have of the speakers at any time during the webinar. We'll have a Q&A at the end, and you simply enter your questions by inputting them into the Q&A box on the bottom left-hand side of your screen. Your host today is Claire Falklane, editor of Smart Energy International. Thank you, Bill. Today we're going to be talking about the new clean energy package and the implications on electricity and the internal market for electricity, all of which are set to change the face of the EU energy market. As mentioned, we're joined by a stellar lineup of speakers, Laurent Schmidt, Roberto Zangandi, and Willem Straubing. You can read more about them and the organizations they represent by clicking on the speaker tab on the right-hand side of your screen. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Laurent, I'm going to hand over to you so that you could perhaps share some insights into how the new directives are going to impact TSOs across the European Union. Okay, so thank you, uh, Claire, for uh, introducing the uh, topic and uh, inviting uh, me today to speak uh, on behalf of NSOE and, and, and our TSO community. Uh, there's a few points I would like to highlight in the context of the uh, uh, coming regulatory change and the clean energy package, which we think are a significant transformation step into our European power systems. But I would like, first of all, to start with a few words about NSOE. So we are the Association of Transmission System Operators, 43 of them across Europe, 
and we are uh, heavily engaged in the uh, development of the technical agenda of related to the operation of the uh, uh, power system in Europe. So in relation particularly to the creation of what we refer as network codes, which are the code of operating uh, the system together, which are related to development, uh, long-term system developments, uh, uh, power system extensions, which are related to uh, market designs and related to the uh, system operation. The first point I would like to highlight is, is the fact that uh, while this uh, new regulation is very important, we are still uh, very heavily implied right now into the implementation of the previous uh, uh, third package. And we, uh, we have a community which is fully embarked into the uh, deployment of the existing network codes, which have not been uh, fully completed yet uh, with significant, uh, significant uh, digital investments associated to that, new market platform, uh, such as the Xbit platform, which is now enabling intraday trading uh, across Europe, or a platform related to uh, transparency information related to market data, or a platform related to uh, reconciling a common grid model uh, calculation, uh, kind of um, a digital twin of the power system and uh, a power flow uh, happening across uh, Europe. So uh, that to say that we are uh, seeing this package uh, coming as, as a new step on the top of uh, existing deployment and implementation, uh, which are yet to be, uh, to be finished. And what is very important for us is to ensure a, a, a smooth and consistent implementation uh, across these, uh, uh, these two elements. What we see in this new package is really a, a significant effort in terms of decarbonizing the system, uh, which uh, I think will require to accelerate the speed to what the innovation is adopted, uh, not only in the power system, but at the edge of our system for all actors making use of uh, our uh, TSO systems. And so one of the elements which uh, we see as a, as a direct consequence is the, the needed accelerated pace of innovation and the need to think about what will be the design of this system in 2050, prepare for this change and for an electrical system which will uh, be uh, very largely exposed to renewable, potentially very close to 100%, and all what goes with the associated variability and needed flexibility uh, to be able to balance the system. So that means that another element of this, uh, of this package is definitely uh, related to the market design and continuing on the trajectory of what we've done with setting up uh, intraday platform, shorter term gate closure, integrating renewables into the markets and, and, uh, and going towards market-based uh, curtailments in a way and, and and really getting renewable to uh, interact with the energy market uh, at the level playing field with the rest of the other assets. Uh, also uh, redefining and going further in the way we manage capacity at borders between countries and, um, and processes related to the management of this capacity at border as well as last but, last but not least, given that uh, particularly that Roberto is here, is the need to uh, define a new partnership with DSOs 
uh, when we uh, define the structure of that market for the future uh, and, uh, and recognizing that we will be a joint facilitator, TSOs and DSO of that market in the future, and, and uh, basically uh, opening a new uh, a partnership relationship uh, from that perspective, uh, operating the grid uh, consistently. So that's the, the, the second important element. The third important element is related to the, the straightening of the needed regional cooperation uh, between countries uh, to ensure uh, regional security coordination uh, at, uh, and, and, and being able to uh, prepare for uh, the more the growing complexity in the grid operation. And so here we uh, the, the what the clean energy package directly imply is the continuation of the building up of uh, regional our regional sec regional security coordinator entities. Uh, which which have been historically developed as part of the uh, third package, which are now going to be further expanded into a regional coordination center uh, with uh, further functionality uh, to be able to, um, I would say, go one step further into the uh, needed coordination uh, for, uh, for for the uh, for the security of supply for the regional security uh, of the system in processes related to, uh, to DEVED uh, particularly, keeping in mind that the uh, real-time uh, security of the, uh, of the system is, is, uh, is to be managed in the countries by, by the TSOs. So that there's a lot of new coordination or expanded coordination uh, required here. Uh, the fourth uh, bullet point is related uh, to new role related to uh, coordination effort at a pan-European level. Uh, and so these, are, these imply new role for NSOE and our community, uh, role related to what we refer to as risk preparedness. So being able to um, recognizing the system evolves in a, a growing complex, uh, complex environment is uh, setting up uh, new processes and rule uh, to properly uh, manage uh, cases of uh, risk cases of crisis and in particularity in view of the uh, uh, growing cybersecurity uh, risk and uh, in relation with the new network code which is going to be built on cybersecurity and similarly there is another uh, pan-european development which uh, uh, which is expected which is related to uh, generation and uh, end uh, grid capacity adequacy uh, calculation at a pan-European level in being able to uh, properly analyze the, I would say, phasing in of large amount of renewable at the pan-European level, as well as phasing out uh, of, uh, I would say, assets such as the, uh, the coal assets. And of course, the, uh, the uh, very tuned phasing of these ins and outs of uh, generation assets is absolutely crucial if we want to maintain uh, security of supply at the level of what it is uh, right now in our TSO community uh, across Europe, which I think is, is, is really a benchmark, uh, remains a benchmark for the world. And so, and so there is really a wide variety of, of tools, methodologies, calculation, a lot of uh, data, a digital platform to be uh, to be expanded and uh, added uh, in uh, 
growing the cooperation uh, across TSOs in this space. Uh, associated to this uh, regional adequacy, there will be also need for um, uh, building new registry related to capacity remuneration mechanism. And I think here the, uh, the principle of the clean energy package is that uh, in some areas of the system, some uh, capacity remuneration mechanism will be required, in which case um, what is going to be important uh, as per the guideline given is to ensure the cross-border participation of, uh, of uh, generation capacity across capacity remuneration mechanism and the need to put in place uh, certain checks uh, between the uh, uh, between these uh, these mechanisms. So, in a nutshell, it's it, it's really a very demanding uh, package. It's uh, it is needed in the context of the uh, expected fast growth of uh, renewable and decarbonization of our system, and uh, and we are preparing to be uh, fully ready for and efficient and fast implementation of these uh, new approaches. Thank you, Laurent. Um, I think the implications for TSOs and the framework that you are going to be working within are going to be fairly significant, but it sounds like um, there's some really interesting times ahead. Um, Roberto, perhaps you could talk us through some of the implications for DSOs. Uh, yes, uh, good afternoon, uh, uh, everybody, first of all. Uh, yes, uh, what, uh, what uh, uh, my friend uh, in Laurent just uh, pointed out uh, at the beginning of uh, his uh, intervention, so the need of a new partnership between uh, DSOs and TSOs is uh, what uh, we are uh, working jointly together uh, since uh, several years now. And uh, we have uh, in place also uh, with uh, other associations uh, representing uh, uh, DSOs in uh, different formats, I would say, so dimensions. Um, what is going on is a, is, a, is a joint effort to find uh, ways to cooperate with the TSOs on key issues. So the first one we tackled was the um, issue of uh, data management exchange between DSOs and TSOs, and then we went uh, tackling on the active system management uh, uh, between DSO and TSOs. And that leads uh, to that part of the intervention of Laurent uh, where flexibility was uh, the head the title for that. And uh, uh, we are actively working uh, at uh, DSO level uh, on, um, we have set up for this a task force. Um, <clears throat> we are working on the flexibility aggregation mechanisms that uh, uh, will enable or still are already enabling uh, the uh, smooth uh, relationship uh, between DSOs and TSOs in managing uh, the, the grid in, uh, in the different uh, voltage areas. So doing these, uh, of course, uh, we uh, developed, uh, if, I, if I may say this, uh, um, a way to cooperate uh, which uh, uh, has been also uh, 
figured out by the new package, but uh, in, in many areas we are already a little bit further uh, than what the package prescribes. So this is the result of uh, technological cooperation and a cooperation among uh, peers in terms of expertise that, uh, that is brought by the DSOs and PSOs. Going back to the appreciation of the, of, uh, the package, uh, we issued uh, at, uh, at a certain point uh, a, a huge document on this, it was uh, February, and it is uh, um, uh, to be found on our website uh, where we commented uh, article per article what is the impact on uh, the distribution system operators, and you can find it easily. But uh, let me tell you that the most impacting uh, um, uh, stimuli for uh, the DSOs in this uh, uh, package are, first of all, uh, the role of the distribution uh, system in uh, fostering and enabling uh, the participation of the customer. Um, this uh, forces the DSOs uh, to uh, speed up their uh, customer orientation. Uh, it was uh, much more uh, oriented to uh, customer satisfaction and services to the consumers. And now we uh, know exactly that uh, those uh, winning uh, the game uh, in the energy transitions uh, will be the distributors that will be able to uh, grant uh, uh, an upgrade of their relation with the customer in the direction of uh, serving the grid user needs and serving what are the expectations of uh, an evolved uh, grid user or prosumer. Uh, of course, uh, we also know that uh, uh, not uh, every grid user will turn uh, or will convert into a prosumer. So we must uh, keep an adequate balance uh, between uh, the expansion of the services for the grid users that are most active on the market and the regular uh, grid users that are not interested in participating into the market. We have got uh, so rough. Uh, data that uh, tell us uh, that uh, uh, still a large percentage of uh, uh, the grid users are not really aware of the potential of uh, their participation into the grid, and uh, many label uh, this uh, uh, trend to uh, promote the, uh, the prosumer and uh, the prosumer role as uh, a fashionable thing that is going to cost a lot of money. I'm using very simple um, uh, images uh, to describe this, but it is uh, what, uh, what emerges uh, from some market. This doesn't mean that we uh, must not be uh, able to uh, render the same degree of service uh, to, the, uh, to both of, uh, of the consumers, of course, because the modernization of the grid will be uh, fundamental to accommodate the needs of uh, the most advanced and uh, to improve the services uh, in the next years and uh, according to the uh, new users to come uh, also for the regular uh, or less uh, sophisticated grid users. So uh, we welcome very much uh, as, a, as a whole the uh, 
uh, energy package, there are a couple of things that are uh, really uh, pushing the DSOs to new approaches. One of them is the role that will be uh, taken by uh, a, a totally new uh, character uh, on um, uh, on the stage, and this new character are the citizen energy communities. Uh, it is an important uh, al alternative to traditional distribution, and uh, we are uh, actively um, entertaining uh, uh, talks uh, and uh, with with the pioneers of. Uh, of these energy communities and citizens' energy communities in order to see how uh, can we better uh, interact uh, with uh, these uh, kind uh, of evolution. This will require, of course, uh, a, a new generation of uh, consumers, but also a new generation, if you, if you wish, of uh, grid managers that uh, will have uh, to consider in their planning and in their dispatching patterns uh, the presence of uh, communities and the contribution that the communities will be pouring into the grid. So this is, uh, this is first uh, um, as a as a major um, as a major change if compared uh, to the past. Then uh, we have uh, a new body coming coming up, uh, and it is the institutionalization of uh, the um, role of the DSO in advising the European Commission as far as the legislative framework and the technological framework around the distribution system is concerned. The Clean Energy Package also foresees the creation of a European Union DSO entity uh, which is meant to bring uh, to the Commission knowledge and judgment and advice from the DSOs when it comes to uh, legislate on a technical uh, issue. It means that uh, it will be the place where the uh, cooperation with uh, the TSOs will have uh, its uh, technical declination, and uh, it is the place, the entity, where the DSO will converge in terms of expertise uh, in order to find a way to uh, collectively uh, advance in the new management of the grid. Uh, this is due uh, to enter in operation in uh, 2021, and uh, uh, all the DSOs association are working on uh, its uh, uh, conception and functioning. Uh, we are uh, very well advanced on that. Uh, we are uh, still very much polishing uh, some uh, uh, governance factors uh, that uh, still remain open, but it is very uh, important to uh, see in the future uh, an active role in, uh, uh, of, of these entities in solving and depicting the technological framework where the DSOs uh, will uh, move their steps in the future and where, and where the cooperation with, with the TSOs uh, will be performed. So we are very much uh, uh, interested uh, not only as 
EDSO, which is my association, um, but as DSOs as a whole in the development uh, of these. Uh, the last part that I would uh, like to point out uh, as far as uh, this uh, um, impact of uh, the uh, clean energy package on DSOs uh, is concerned is that uh, uh, we are indeed seen along with uh, the transmission operators as the enabler uh, of the transition. And to be the enabler of the transition, it, uh, uh, it requires a quite a good vision and a good awareness uh, of the allocation of resources. It is uh, a synonym of uh, investments, uh, which is uh, a synonym of uh, how to spend uh, the money that you must spend on the grid to uh, allow all of this. And uh, uh, these uh, can be done uh, with uh, a, a regulatory framework that uh, uh, remains reliable but that is also able to accommodate uh, the evolution of uh, the technologies and the evolution that uh, the digitalization and the advancement of uh, the platforms uh, that DSOs and TSOs uh, will be developing. Uh, nowadays, there are uh, still uh, quite a few holes in, uh, in the regulation that uh, really um, must be must be uh, filled uh, in order not to hinder uh, a rapid succession of uh, technological improvements and uh, advancements. And uh, yesterday, uh, there has been here in Brussels um, uh, one of the thousands of meetings uh, that are held in Brussels every day. But uh, this one was uh, particularly important. And uh, it was uh, labeled uh, um, EU ambitions. And the EU ambitions uh, were targeted uh, to uh, 2024. So the end of uh, the term of uh, the new parliament and commission. Well, uh, I tell you, the lead of this meeting yesterday was uh, uh, give us a dynamic regulation to make it really a better regulation. And uh, we stick to this because uh, we are very much interested in a regulatory framework that allows DSOs to leverage all of their experience uh, in order to progress on the grid. Roberto, thank you. Uh, it certainly sounds like uh, things are happening on your side of the sector as well. Willem, that brings me to you uh, last, but certainly not least. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about uh, some of the cyber and data security issues and just some of the work that um, is going to be impacting or some of the how some of these regulations are going to be impacting on ISMIG. Sure, thank you. Thank you, Claire, for the introduction. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, I'm waiting for my presentation. Can you? Yeah. Thanks, Claire. So in my presentation, I would like to highlight the provisions in the current European legislation that refers to the access and the privacy and security of data that is produced by smart meters. Uh, because basically smart meters, that is uh, the topic of, of ESMIC, 
And uh, what I would like to do first is to, to have a, a glance, a quick look at the ESMIC organization. Just a few words. Uh, we started as a European smart meter industry group, but currently, as you can see from the membership list on this slide, we have a broader scope and we cover solution providers for measuring, transferring, storing, analyzing, securing, presentation of smart meter data. So it's all about smart meter data and our focus areas are, besides the rollout of smart meters, also uh, security of, of data transfer, uh, analytics, data analytics, uh, presentation of data, and, and finally also the interoperability for demand response and demand side management. Uh, we are active on political level regarding the clean energy package, uh, cybersecurity related, related legislation, but we're also active on technical level on issues such as interoperability for demand response and demand side management. Now let's, let's have a, a look at the, the clean energy package and especially where it concerns engaging consumers. On this slide, I, I took a few lines from the clean energy package referring to consumers and their engagement. The CAP, the, the package concerns a comprehensive and quite concrete package that puts the consumer at the heart of the energy transition. It asks for technology that supports active participation of consumers in the energy market. And the technology starts with, with having a smart meter infrastructure as a first step towards the engagement of consumers. And I'm deliberately saying that the smart meter is a first step because uh, as you can imagine, just having a smart meter in your home will not engage consumers at all. Anyway, the smart meter should, have, uh, should be able to provide near real-time data directly to the consumer as a second step so they can get accurate and timely feedback regarding their energy consumption. So why do we think this real-time feedback is so important? There are still many discussions. Uh, are consumers really interested to have the insight in their consumption? And that's why we, we have asked the think tank, the research center Vasa ATT in Finland, to investigate the effect of provision of real-time data to consumers in general. And they have studied last year the outcomes of, of over 150 pilot projects, and they came to the conclusion that savings even up to 7.8% for electricity consumptions are feasible. Uh, if you have the right tools, and, and if you are able to present this data directly to the consumer. Now, we know that in most of the business cases for smart metering in Europe, the percentages that are expected for energy savings are much lower. But uh, uh, we would say, okay, if, if we look at this research, then we, we really think that those percentages that are currently in the business cases um, in the calculations are feasible. Uh, now, but if we look at the reality, the reality is, is still far from the expectations that we find in the clean energy package. Uh, I have just a few examples here on this slide. In the first place, a monitoring report about the smart meter rollout in the Netherlands has shown that uh, uh, so far 88% of the consumers that offered, are offered a smart meter, they also accepted it. And as you might know, the Dutch consumers uh, can refuse to have a smart meter installed. So if they say no, then the grid operator will not be able to install a meter. So we think 88% is a good result in the, in the business case calculations. Uh, we had a maximum of 80% uh, to, to, keep a bit, to get a positive business case. So 88% is still quite a good result. Um, but as in several other countries, in the Netherlands also, the installation of smart meters is decoupled from the offering of feedback tools and, and other consumer-focused services. 
simply because the grid operator has no legal right to go any further than installing the meter. And commercial service providers, they should take the opportunity to extend their service portfolio uh, further and, and above of, of only selling energy, but selling also consumer-focused services. But they currently, they don't. And, um, and, and this monitoring report in the Netherlands showed that only 4% of the 88% that received an offer for uh, a smart meter uh, also got an offer for a tool present to present the consumption in real time. So only 4% was really, um, um, was really able to get a feedback tool or at least got the information about uh, and an offer about uh, using such a feedback tool. Secondly, a survey that has been done by the Energy Ombudsman Network, NEON, in 2018, concluded that consumers failed to see the benefits of smart meters so far. And then finally, the European Commission has authorized the development of a new benchmark report. That's the second one. The first one was done, I think it was 2013, um, to check the status and experiences so far with the smart meter rollout in Europe. And a draft of, of this report is already available. Uh, so it is a draft. We don't have the final conclusions yet, but the draft conclusions uh, or the draft report concludes that consumers are also here not well informed in general in Europe about the reasons behind the rollout of smart meters. So they might know what a smart meter is, but why is it, why is it there in the first place? And also what exactly are the benefits that they, that can, they can bring uh, to consumers uh, when additional technology is used. So, we came to the conclusion that in order to solve current issues, cooperation between market parties on national level is key to make the energy transition successful. Uh, in, in the former presentations, you heard already that initiatives are taken for the cooperation, the collaboration between TSOs and DSOs. Uh, but also other market parties uh, should, 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 should be able to, um, uh, to cooperate with the other market parties uh, to make this a success. Based on our findings in several markets where the smart meter rollout has, has progressed or finished, ESMIC has listed the best practices for a successful smart meter rollout. And uh, in the first place, the national regulatory system should enable and promote emerging consumer-focused services. Timely and non-discriminatory access to consumption data is needed for market parties that have the rights to such access. And last but not least, the collaboration that is needed to properly inform the consumer uh, about the need for change. So again, why do we install this new technology? What is the reason behind? But also, what are the benefits for consumers? But also, finally, um, not least uh, less important, is to address the concern that consumers might have about the new technology that is introduced. Besides the cooperation, the consumer-focused tools and services need to be available, and impartial access to consumption data is really key. Now let's zoom in uh, a little bit more on the electricity directive, uh, when, uh, and especially on, on the provisions about data access. Uh, in Article 23 of this directive, uh, it is explained what the data what data this directive refers to in the first place. So that is consumption data and the data required for consumer switching and demand response. Article 24, in Article 24, the Commission is instructed to determine the interoperability requirements for such non-discriminatory consumption data access. But now the question comes, what exactly is meant with these interoperability requirements? 
Um, when trying to achieve interoperability in the first place, it should be clear what are the interfaces that are targeted. So looking at the scope of the data from Article 23, several interfaces could be in scope, but many of those interfaces are already implemented in the European member states. So that is difficult for those member states to say, well, if you come up with a European solution uh, for this data access, new interoperability requirements, we will change our system. That will not happen. Um, therefore, we as ESMIC, we, we, we have proposed and, and we prefer to focus on the interfaces that provide the data directly to consumers. In the first place, because these interfaces are not yet well established in the member states. And secondly, because these interfaces are the basis for the development of commercial consumer-focused technology. Then, in order to reach full interoperability, the requirements should cover the various layers of interoperability. So, from the physical connectivity to the use cases that define the flow of information, all these layers should be, um, should, should be fixed, should be defined, in order to reach full interoperability. Okay, so next, uh, I would like to make a sidestep from the Clean Energy Package to the Cybersecurity Act, uh, because that's also a legislation that we are, faced, that we are facing uh, when installing uh, new technologies and um, provide new services to consumers. Uh, the Cybersecurity Act has been adopted by the Brussels Institute in 2018, and one of the main elements of this act is the security certification of ICT products in general. So it's not specifically for the energy market, it, it covers all these different markets uh, that provide IT uh, products where IT products are used and, and services and, and services and processes are installed. ENISA is the European Union Agency for Cybersecurity. Uh, ENISA has been assigned to develop a European certification framework that should be the basis for certification schemes because currently these schemes are developed on national level which leads to fragmentation and high costs. The Cybersecurity Act aims to avoid this fragmentation and promote a mutual recognition of certificates among the EU member states. And a certificate issued by one country should automatically be accepted by others. That is the aim, the objective of this act. It is important to note that certification will be voluntary. So it's up to the member states to decide if and if yes, what schemes they want to implement. Now, uh, let's zoom in then on the situation for smart meters. Looking at the current situation regarding security certification of smart meters, we have seen that uh, already three member states of the European Union have uh, implemented a national approach for certification of meters. And considering the price of such certification, you can imagine what happens if all 28 member states would have a national approach leading to 28 different certificates. Uh, that's the reason why, um, why ESMIC has taken the initiative together with Sensemlik and Etsy to define a European approach for this security certification. And uh, the economic benefit of being able to use one certificate for multiple countries is really huge. Uh, we have chosen for a certification scheme that's already in use, uh, is, is uh, mature. It is adopted in, in 17 European countries. And those 17 European countries recognize a certificate issued in any of these countries. So one certificate is only needed for, for those 17 countries. And you can make easy uh, calculation how much, this would, how much money this would save. 
In October, the approach for smart meters will be officially registered, so the certification can start later this year. And um, our members, they already have uh, given um, a kind of commitment that uh, that they want to uh, to use this approach for certifying their meters. I would like to make it clear that it is not the intention to replace the already existing national approaches, so uh, like the ones we have in France and in the UK. Uh, but but we target the countries that want to introduce a new scheme, and um, it's it's also very easy to calculate that a positive business case. We already have a positive business case if if only two or three countries would use the European approach. So finally, um, I would say would like to say a few words about the e-privacy regulation that is currently being discussed in the European Parliament. Uh, the energy sector so far was able to adapt its business processes uh, according to the new data protection and privacy regulations that was issued a few years ago. Uh, there are no serious barriers because smart meter data can be collected by grid operators to fulfill a legal obligation. And the regulation allows that. So of, um, that's, that's basically uh, not, not a big issue. Uh, and of course, this data collection needs to be lawful and well protected. However, the new e-privacy regulation is more restrictive and demands consumer consent for all personal data that is collected. And that's why several organizations from the sector are now asking for a change of the draft to make it aligned with the GDPR. So try to align these, these uh, two regulations that, that both are about data protection and, and uh, privacy. And currently the, the new parliament that is just elected is working on the file. So we need to follow this process closely and try to prevent any new barriers for the collection of consumption data. With that, I would like to conclude my presentation and um, would like to, uh, to invite you to use the system to enter your questions for us. And uh, well, thank you for your attention. Willem, thank you very much. Um, I think, ladies and gentlemen, we obviously have uh, quite a, a, a diverse and um, wide range of spread in, in terms of the topics that we've covered today. So um, I do encourage you to send through your questions. Um, and in the meantime, I think I'm going to start with one question which is predominantly aimed at you, Ron, and you, Roberto, and that is, one of the elements of the directive is that no CSO or DSO may own storage. What are the likely implications to be of this? Uh, Roberta, I'll start with you. Uh, yes, that uh, has been a, a very much discussed issue uh, over the negotiation of uh, the package. Um, it is not a secret that uh, the DSOs are not completely happy with the conclusion that has been reached, uh, which uh, uh, not because the DSOs have wanted to enter uh, the commercial use of uh, storage, uh, but uh, um, we had uh, acknowledged maybe a bit too late and uh, uh, in a maybe a bit too restrictive way uh, the use of uh, storage for a tactical reason over the grid that uh, uh, we were uh, asking for. 
So uh, we really had to uh, to put a, a lot of effort to demonstrate that uh, non-commercial storage, but uh, tactical or technical uh, storage, would have been a benefit for the DSOs uh, as well, especially in the perspective of uh, compensating and uh, uh, accommodating the the uh, load of flows that uh, expectedly uh, are uh, are going to increase from the bottom of the grid, so from the prosumers. So this is uh, this is our appreciation uh, for that. We never wanted to enter commercially uh, the, the the storage business and the reuse of storage. Uh, certainly, if the market is not there. Uh, we asked uh, to be put in a condition to uh, organize uh, uh, the, the storage that we need. But surely having the ability to utilize storage is going to be quite key to uh, managing supply and demand and, and, and ensuring security of supply. Uh, is this going to pre actually present technical issues on, on your side of the of the sector? Okay, so on the TSO side, I think we uh, we do uh, acknowledge the uh, position of the clean energy package, and uh, we uh, do reckon that in the majority of the cases, uh, business cases for storage are actually uh, deregulated uh, in the sense that they are. Uh, they are basically flexibility assets which aggregator or balancing responsible party can aggregate uh, within their portfolio uh, to um, basically uh, trade and transact into uh, intraday and even balancing and ancillary service markets. Uh, having said that, we, um, we also think we should... Uh, uh, in very few innovation cases, we should also leave some space open uh, for more uh, regulatory uh, uh, for applications which are more regulated. Uh, for example, uh, reactive power management, uh, in which case you don't have, as what Roberto was saying, an obvious uh, market design, and it, it which case, uh, in which case uh, a storage, which is primarily a technology, once again, uh, could help also a grid operator uh, uh, to, uh, to, manage the, to manage the system. So topics like reactive power or even maybe some cases uh, congestion management uh, could be topics which, uh, which, which is still interesting to look uh, from an innovation point of view and, and, but of course, that would be under a certain regulatory scrutiny, and we are very careful as a wholesale market facilitator uh, not to, of course, uh, uh, ruin the rules uh, which are uh, behind these uh, wholesale, direct intraday, and, and, and balancing uh, systems and platform. Thank, thanks very much, Laurel. Um, I'm going to move over to one or two other questions. Um, and forgive me uh, in advance, ladies and gentlemen, if the, if the questions do seem a little bit uh, random. We have got a number of questions that have come through, and I'm trying to work through as many of these as we can before our time is up. So uh, please uh, uh, just bear with me seeming a little bit schizophrenic. 
Um, so one of the questions that I have, and Rebecca, I think that this one is probably aimed at you, but uh, Willem, this may be one that you want to, to weigh in on as well, and that is, are market issues conflicting with security ones? Uh, Roberta, let's start with you on that one. Yes, I already answered to that uh, question on uh, on the uh, question and answer. I, I, I answered in writing. And uh, uh, the, uh, the answer is uh, uh, yes, of course, yes. There, there might be uh, moments and issues where uh, this can be conflicting with uh, the evolution of the market, but I think that uh, those instances are to be solved uh, issue by issue, uh, enlarging the, in, the, in the most uh, uh, large possible way the, uh, the cooperation with the other actors uh, on the grid or on the market. So, uh, and, and this is not uh, just uh, uh, a cheap and easy answer. I mean, uh, we, 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 we really mean it. Uh, there, uh, I, I don't see the case of uh, uh, an enhanced court of justice uh, to solve the conflict uh, between uh, uh, the, the market issues in the in the electro in the electricity in the electricity sector. Honestly, Willem, uh, is this something that's likely to impact uh, on on your side? Yeah, so, um, yeah. I, I I think this was a question for me, Claire. Um, I, I indeed. So in my last sheet, I, that is the the main example I have is is where uh, the European uh, Union working is working on this e-privacy regulation uh, that is that is so strict that it might uh, prevent. Uh, companies that have a legal obligation to maintain the network, uh, such as TSOs, DSOs, might have an issue with uh, being able to get hold of that information. And um, uh, as I indicated in that last sheet, uh, the GDPR, so the privacy regulation, has a, uh, has a good answer on that. Uh, so, uh, so far, we didn't see any barriers there, but the e-privacy regulation might... Uh, Give those barriers, but I know that that currently in in the European Parliament there is a major discussion on this e-privacy regulation uh, because also for crime fighting you might not want to have uh, very strict barriers to be able to access information that you need to uh, to do the uh, the crime fighting. So uh, those kind of discussions are ongoing and they are in um, basically for the energy markets more or less in conflict with the uh, the current rules that we have for data transfer, data access. I guess one of the, one of the biggest challenges facing uh, policy makers and regulators is that by its nature, regulation is not fluid, but um, you need to have a, a very delicate, delicate balance between fluidity and uh, certainty. Um, so actually, Willem, my next question then is for you. And that is, what do you consider as near real-time data, and how real-time does it need to be in order to actually achieve the benefits? Yeah, uh, thanks for the question. Um, for the, re the research that we have done, or that FASA ATT has done, among the 150 pilots, uh, it was common practice to have real-time data down to seconds. 
And that's also basically the state of the art of uh, the smart meters that are currently available. Uh, you, they, they have an interface where you can get uh, data out. Uh, so that's the current consumption um, and, and also current uh, values, uh, power values. Uh, in, in one, two, three, four, five seconds, uh, or every one, two, three, four, five seconds. And that was the basis for, for reaching those results uh, that, that you have seen. Uh, I know that currently the energy, sorry, the electricity directives is, is talking about near, near real time, and that's, that is defined as up to the market settlement period, uh, where somewhere else in the file, um, the market settlement period should be down to 15 minutes now or in the future so they go up to 15 minutes and um, to be honest we, we didn't research the effect of having uh, a value every 15 minutes uh, so the research we have done was really down to seconds may may i add uh, uh, Robert, may i add a consideration on this so uh, of course uh, this is uh, for the distributors uh, uh, an important issue also in uh, uh, if you are targeting uh, uh, the uh, evolution curves of uh, uh, the prosumer evolution that that we foresee for uh, for the near and medium term uh, um, 15 minutes might be too too much uh, the the consensus that uh, that uh, that we have is that uh, uh, 15 minutes for the time being uh, can uh, can be there. Of course, uh, we should be uh, very much uh, ready to, to cope with a uh, uh, shorter span of times. And there are many distributors that already are working uh, in uh, uh, in uh, data collect on data collections that is very much uh, closer to the to the real time as. Uh, you might imagine. Uh, the point is uh, that uh, there are 2,400 uh, plus distributors in Europe and uh, uh, that uh, the pace of the improvement of uh, uh, the, the abilities, technological abilities of all the DSOs cannot be the same. And I'm saying that these are representing, uh, representing the largest one. So we, we are very much aware of uh, the uh, differences between uh, the different uh, DSOs and dimension between the different DSOs. Uh, we have got uh, a huge number of DSOs that uh, uh, are still bundled uh, with, uh, in, in vertical integrated uh, uh, small groups or uh, municipalities and uh, uh, that uh, maybe they feel they do not have uh, such a need of hyper-performance uh, <coughs> metering due to their local characteristics. And, uh, um, and, and this is a factor that must be taken uh, into, into consideration and it is, not, uh, it is not philosophy. Of course, uh, there is an upper level of uh, grids uh, and uh, metering standards, uh, which is uh, the one towing the, the, the innovation and the progress, but uh, uh, let's consider that uh, the grid is not all a triple A grid. Uh, we have also uh, A, B, BB, and triple B grids somewhere in Europe. So this is very important to be, um, to be considered.
Thank you very much. I have a question that I'm going to direct to you, Laurent, and that is with regards to data. Are there elements of data that would be appropriate or applicable to both uh, yourself and to the DSO sector and to uh, that, and, and, and to the, 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 the consumer sector? And, and if so, how is that kind of data potentially going to be managed? Laurent? Okay, I think we've, we've, we've lost Laurent. Um, Roberta, maybe you can answer that question. Where is the intersection between data across this entire sector? Uh, transmission distribution, uh, and and of course on the consumer side. Uh, say, say that again because I lost the, the first part. Uh, sorry, the first part of your question. <laughs> no problem. Um, could could you give some thoughts with regards to data sharing across mm -hmm. both the TSO, DSO, and retail elements of the market? How much data is going to be applicable to all three sectors, and how how do you anticipate this kind of data management is going to be facilitated? Uh, nasty question to be put uh, as the very last one uh, for, for what I'm concerned, since I must leave in a couple of minutes. That is the core of the discussion, as a, as a matter of fact. We reached uh, a good agreement with the TSOs on uh, the package of data that we must exchange uh, to guarantee a seamless uh, functioning uh, of uh, the grid, and we are reaching with the, DSO, uh, with the TSOs uh, um, a solid agreement on uh, the kind of data that uh, we shall be uh, needing uh, to properly manage uh, across digital platforms uh, the uh, flexibility. Uh, and uh, the data that we already use to manage uh, the current uh, flexibility. So this, uh, this is not a detailed answer. It is uh, much more a broad uh, answer. But uh, bear in mind anyway uh, the basic uh, difference uh, between personal data that must be highly protected with technological data that are the ones that determine the interaction between uh, equipment and the commercial data, that are those uh, furnishing uh, and uh, catering uh, for uh, profiling purposes um, about uh, the customer or aggregation of customers. Uh, all data uh, have got uh, these uh, three uh, differences that to us uh, are very important and to uh, our uh, uh, principles of uh, sustainability of uh, the de uh, and social responsibility of the grid operators uh, turn out uh, to be uh, basic. Uh, I think that uh, the uh, conversation and the discussion about uh, the, the data that are really needed uh, to uh, properly manage the grid are, uh, is, is still open, is still open, and it is uh, um, and it is going to be even and even more enhanced uh, because of the uh, evolution of different applications that uh, come uh, that can that can hit 
the market proposing uh, new aggregation or re-aggregation of different data, even, even technological uh, data, in order to improve the service. So the, the, the final answer uh, from our side is that uh, uh, we have uh, uh, levels where we comply first. Uh, I've got 44 members representing for uh, some 350 million grid users. So uh, we see that uh, there is uh, a corporate level where the data issue must be uh, sold in terms of approach, uh, a national level, and uh, interactive uh, super national or super uh, regional level where this must be uh, tackled. On this argument, on this uh, kind of uh, interpretation, for instance, uh, sometimes we are far away from the position of ESME, and an example is uh, uh, is about the uh, requirements uh, uh, for uh, for uh, for the smart metering. But uh, this is not a discussion; it's a webinar, so it's a, uh, I, I will not go into details uh, for this. But uh, I uh, what I must uh, <laughs> no, it's true. But I must remark, and uh, and, and the presentation uh, of William was very good, and and I, and I appreciated it uh, a lot. But still, there is uh, among the different operators on uh, on the market, uh, uh, um, it is not a confrontation, but really a, a strong comparison about the, the needs. Huh? So uh, we are uh, um, a privately owned public service, those who are not municipalities. And uh, uh, the, the first uh, compliance is to be a public service uh, while being <laughs> privately owned. So our, our commercial uh, interest is regulated by a tariff. So uh, whereas there are other uh, commercial interests that are uh, uh, regulated by the law of the market. And uh, these two uh, approaches uh, do influence uh, a lot of the perception of, uh, of the use and the necessity of the data. So, but I must say that uh, I found that this uh, webinar particularly interesting and that I am available to go on other specific uh, topics in the future if you will be as kind as uh, to organize something similar as the Smart Energy International. Fantastic. Roberta, thank you very much. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Laurent and Willem to just, uh, if there are any comments, uh, Laurent, any comments on the concept of shared data um, and, and um, the, the question that Roberta was answering? Yeah, so I have a few a few comments complementing what uh, Roberto has, has mentioned. Uh, first of all, for us, uh, transparency in data is very important, and we already do a lot of work in the wholesale level in our TSO community to publish through the transparency platform massive amount of data. And what we realize is the data becomes much more geographically spread, but also closer and closer to real time. And, uh, and and we see an expon exponential uh, usage of that data on this data hub uh, 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 week by week. So so this is a positive news in the sense that uh, I would say transparency develop and while new network codes, balancing codes and so on coming, we will produce much more data 
related to grid reserve, related to grid balancing, and closer to real time. So that, that is, and, and I think the DNA of TSO community is open data when it comes to this data, free of any commercial license, and basically being able to make uh, an, an optimum uh, operation, uh, an optimum uh, usage at the edge of, of, of our uh, systems. The second element which is very important is the fact that we need now to work more closely to the with the DSOs, as what Roberto mentioned. So we have a first step made with the first level of understanding. Uh, we are developing a lot of innovation, Horizon 2020 project, to really uh, refine uh, the granularity of that data and knowing where we need to, uh, to evolve the existing boundary. And I think we will uh, learn progressively on the, on the next step. What is amazing is the uh, new aggregator uh, starting to come into our uh, uh, pan-European balancing systems, start to be aggregator of electrical vehicles uh, connected at home. And so that's fundamentally raised the question of granularity down to lower level of voltages but granularity down to, uh, 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 to the, um, uh, the real-time environment. And here what we see in the electrical vehicle is we see a lot of data produced by the vehicle itself out of meter, which are sometimes faster than smart meters. And so the question here is how can we deal with all these sets of data? So what we see as a whole uh, trend, and it's a bit of an innovation area, is the this system ends up being a systems of systems uh, with the, uh, the, the question is not anymore where to store and where the data is, but how to define the API and the interfaces and how to manage the proper license of data across these interfaces. And this is really uh, what we need to work as, as a strategic objective of the next developments of these clean energy package together with the DSOs and with the aggregator to, to optimize the flexibility into our system. So this is absolutely crucial to work on that element. If I, if I, I'm still online, no, but thank I'm you very much. In, in, in minutes, if I can add something to, to Laurent, Roberto, yeah? Uh, is, uh, it is true that uh, the generation of beyond the, the meat of data uh, is going to be wild. And, uh, uh, and uh, the uh, dynamic regulation I was referring to uh, might be very much dynamic, but uh, when those data are supplied by appliances that you have in your household and uh, the grid operators are out of control of uh, the quality and the quantity and uh, the standards applying to those data, well, it will be a challenge. Uh, and uh, these opens a brand new uh, stream of reflection that uh, uh, we shall be happy to tackle. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, I, I, I hate to be the party pooper here. Um, I have time literally for Willem a last comment. Claire, I, I didn't hear your last words, so I think you had a bad connection. Hello?
sign up for our newsletter today. Thank you very much, and bye for now.